and welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism podcast. I'm Christy Mayer and once more I'm joined by the brilliant Andy Bannister. You continue to join us from Dundee, don't you, Andy? I do. One of these days we'll do a podcast and I'll be somewhere somewhere exotic, like, I don't know, Aberdeen or Motherwell or somewhere. But, you know, no, Dundee, it is the it is the centre of the universe. Oh, well, welcome. And um, we're also very, well, just thrilled to be joined by the brilliant Mark Menor. Mark, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a real joy. Uh, Mark, we're old friends, but you you wear a, a lot of hats, as we mentioned earlier on. Uh, let me see if I can remember <laughs> uh, what we were just talking about. You are the uh, the European Caribbean Director for Langham Preaching. You've had the privilege of serving in local church uh, ministry for a number of years. And you've also served in a seminary in East Africa. Uh, among many, many other things. So you just bring a just such a, a wealth of experience and heart, I think, to this important and really painful topic that we're talking about today on, on power and our evangelical um, culture and what it looks like for the watching world, really, to see us just bleeding before them in all these different areas. Um, gosh, I'm not even sure how to start this conversation, Mark, other than to perhaps ask you, how did you first kind of... Um, start engaging with this topic. Thank you. Well, um, probably it was about 10 or 11 years ago, um, I started just trying to get my head around why uh, we seem to be in a uniquely suspicious age. And what was it that was leading to a breakdown in trust um, across the West? um, And particularly uh, a suspicion and nervousness about the church and about the gospel. Now, that, that it quickly became apparent that there are 101 different reasons and factors in that. So it's not um, a, a sort of question one can give a sort of pat re- reduced answer to. You can't sort of reduce it to a si- soundbite. But I quickly realized that there was uh, at least one common thread of a number, and that was the the natural response to having experienced the abuse of power is um, a suspicion of anyone who wields power again. So, you know, it's the classic once bitten, twice shy thing. You've had your fingers burnt. You're not going to go anywhere near the fire again. And I began to see that this pattern was being repeated at the sort of macro cultural level and also right down to the individual personal level. Um, And this came together in a a book that came out in 2015 called Wilderness of Mirrors. But I was just looking at lots of different strands. But since then, um, I found the kind of trends I was seeing um, culturally and across well, globally in some ways, but certainly across the West, we're becoming very close to home. And some situations that have hit headlines just in recent months um, were were just terrifying kind of outworkings of precisely the things I thought about in theory or remotely. And now I was meeting with uh, people who were directly affected and and very sort of in parallel to what I'd seen. So that that was just really scary. I didn't anticipate that, but I guess I should have done. But, you know, that's it. So people have come to talk to me since that book, and I would reckon perhaps uh, on average monthly since 
that came out, somebody new has got in touch and said, I need to talk to somebody about this. And it, and it seems in just in what you've said there in brief, Mark, there's to me, there's almost like two, two relating themes here going on. There's the suspicion in, in the culture of, of, of power and, you know, a lot of some of the biggest sort of trends in culture, I think things like critical race theory and others have shone a light on that. And it's easy to critique those things, but there's also they've put their finger on some things. Um, but then also at the same time, it's not just that people are suspicious of the, the church and, and power, right? It's that there have been, you alluded to it there, these really seems like high profile scandal after scandal after scandal where the church where church leaders have abused power. Is that right. is that ever kind of new thing going on that the church is just going through a, you know, a particularly bad patch of, of bad leadership? Or is it that things that have been there structurally for a while and we've not taken the difficult decisions in dealing with are, are perhaps now being seen for the first time? Well, I think that's it's always been a tendency and a problem, I think, throughout church history. What I think has changed is partly technological and the internet has provided... Um, a never-before-seen means by which victims can coalesce and form a co- sort of common purpose and bond. Um, so, you know, the hashtag MeToo thing is a case in point. But it's interesting. Um, so when I was writing the book, um, the main illustration of this in sort of, sort of Christianity terms was the notorious... Uh, Boston Archdiocese in the Catholic Church. And there was a book that came out um, from journalists of the Boston Globe that got made into a film called Spotlight. It was actually quite a good film. Um, But before that film came out, I'd read the book written by that little cohort of journalists. Um, And there were about five or six of them. And they worked for years because basically they had so much pushback. Um, But there was an endemic system of cover-up and uh, suppression. And then basically known perpetrators weren't dismissed. They were just moved. And and so you had repetition after repetition of this kind of behavior. Now, I, I said at the time in the book, um, I, I mentioned this situation not because there's anything intrinsic to Catholicism that means it's going to come uh, out this way, um, because actually this kind of thing can happen anywhere and in any theology. But what you have is you have the perpetration of terrible things, but then you have the institutional cover-up, and it's the double whammy that is what has been so devastating for people. And unfortunately, not necessarily on the same massive scale, but unfortunately we're seeing exactly the same thing across denominations. And I'm pretty convinced that it's not anything to do with particular theology. Although I think one of the things we need to do is to examine a- any particular theology and say, well, what are the what are the Achilles heels here? What are the weaknesses? What are the p- possible ways in which this might get corrupted or distorted? Um, but we all need to be facing up to this. It's um, thinking about cultures um, today and some of the just the awful instances that have hit headlines and ones that are yet to kind of come out in the autumn uh, and beyond. How do you think we can, I guess two things, how do you think we can best prepare ourselves as, as Christians who just, at the moment, we're just sitting under this constant drip of just 
oh, just disgusting mess. Um, how do we bear up under that? And then I guess second to that, how do we also love our friends who may not yet know the Lord well as they see us kind of grappling with these realities and asking questions like, well, this is always going to happen. It's just inevitable, isn't it, really? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on those two things, Mark? I think um, we need to we need to brace ourselves. I think this is going to get worse before it gets better. I think it, it, it's, it, you know, the trickle will lead to um, a sort of a, a snowball, I think, because um, as things get exposed, other people will say, hey, but I've experienced this too in circles and contexts that are very surprising. They wouldn't necessarily put two and two together. I was just talking to somebody early this morning about a situation that's just come to light. And she just said to me, uh, and for years, I just didn't join the dot. Well, I think as these things come to light, it's going to be um, more obvious, if you like, to join the dot. Um, so I think we need to brace ourselves. I think we need to weep. Um, and there have been many times, certainly in the last year or so, when I've just sat at my desk and I just not, I, I've literally not known what to do with myself. Um, and uh, it, it's overwhelming at times. And I think there's a sense of our, our brokenness and limited nature. We just have to come to God and say, look, I, hands up. I don't, know, I don't know how we deal with this. I can see these tendencies in myself. I'm not pointing fingers. Um, but I know that, uh, Lord, somehow you are in control of all of this. And I just, there's no alternative. Now, in terms of the witness, you see, I think it's interesting because one of the things that very often has driven the cover up is a concern for the reputation of the kingdom and the church. So we've got to protect the ministry. We've got to protect the work. We've got to protect the gospel. And so that noble end is used to justify the means of, well, let's just make this go away a bit. And I get, I get that motive. Of course I do. Um, but the awful thing is that in the long run, it makes it 10 times worse. Um, and you, the earlier one deals with it, the better, because quite frankly, um, you know, it, it, it will get worse. And, that, you know, that's what's happened. I mean, I think you've seen the collapse of Catholicism in countries like Spain and Ireland um, because this has been going on for too long. And people just said, right, well, well, stuff it. I've had enough. You've been, you've been doing your worst for so long. Why should we carry on trusting you? And, and people have a point. Um, so... I think actually, as far as our witness is concerned, we just need to be honest and transparent. I, I, it's utterly painful, but I suspect um, that's the only way people are going to gain trust in the church, um, which is ironic, isn't it? Because it's like us saying, but this is what we're really like. Um, but I think there's an important discipleship thing here. So I think a book I come back to almost every year now is um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. It's only 100 pages. I'm always banging on about it with people. Um, 
he wrote it about this illegal seminary community that he was running on the North German coast under the Nazis. It got shut down by the Gestapo. Um, but they learned a lot of lessons about Christian community. And he's got this amazing bit where he talks about the shock horror of discovering that there's a sinner in the midst. And, you know, how appalling and somebody must be told and who let this person in? Um, and of course, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and and so um, he, he, he blames a lot of the problems in the church with this kind of sort of fakery, this, this mask of religion. Um, where everybody's trying to be respectable and good. And um, when people fail, that lets the whole side down and we've got to ostracize and beat them up. And how we deal with people who mess up is, is symptomatic of this. And he says, but that's not the church. That, um, we are here because we're sinful. Um, and let's just get real about that. Now, as soon as you've made that step, then you can start being real about living together and how difficult that is. And and depending on God. And so if we're saying to the world outside, hey, look, we're not much mm. better. We, we screw up. And in fact, some of the things that you're seeing in the media about the church, we fess up and say, yeah, we're not that different. <laughs> we're just like these other institutions you look at. Um, and so then you're saying, well, why are you still together? Well, that's the question, isn't it? That's what you're hoping people. Well, what is it about what you believe that means that you can somehow weather that tornado? Um, that's, I guess, what you're hoping to sort of intrigue with. And that, that that fascinates me, Mark. Cause, you know, it seems to me, you know, we've got a couple of sort of different cultural trends here that, that are pulling in slightly different directions. In one sense, you've got the, the power thing that we've talked about. But you've also got the fact that our culture doesn't understand how to do forgiveness. I think lots of written Absolutely. about this, yeah. you know, looking just recent stuff, whether it's like Ollie Robinson, you know, cricketer tweets something daft, you know, when he's a teenager, game over, uh, whether it's someone who's done something worse, you know, how do we walk that line between dealing with it properly? We don't excuse stuff, but equally, you know, finding that path back to, to restoration. But I wanted to pick you up on something you said a moment ago that, you know, you know, in terms of people who have had their fingers burnt, with power, people have perhaps been in churches where things have gone wrong, have experienced this kind of stuff, and are then a hurt and are broken and are suspicious. How do we begin sharing into you know, the gospel into that setting? I mean, I've come across folks like that who begin talking. The reason they want nothing to do with the church isn't because they don't believe in God or they've got some, you know, clever objection. It's because they tried the church, something horrendous happened, and they they've walked out on the whole thing. How do we even begin those? those conversations to helping those people find their way back to to Jesus in your experience? Um, I, I can answer that more in the theory than experience simply because I think this is really hard. Um, so I don't claim expertise from seeing this happen. But what I will say is I think I sometimes summarise the, the, the seismic shifts that have happened in terms of um, the simple question, the first question somebody asked if they come within the spheres of a Christian group. 50 years ago, it was, is this true? Or how can I know this is true? And you might have rattled off your evidence of the resurrection or whatever it was. They're not asking that today. They're asking, am I safe? And... Um, with good reason, because they're worried that, you know, um, 
my kids might be abused or you're going to take all my money or my personality is going to change or I'm going to be made to do something I don't want to do, um, blah, blah, blah. And we've seen this again and again. Um, and, and so we then need to ask, okay, well, what does it mean to be safe in a community? Um, and we need to ask that of ourselves because I'm not sure that a lot of Christians feel safe in their Christian communities. I'm not sure that leaders make it very safe. I'm not sure necessarily that leaders feel safe. Um, so there's a whole range of issues there. But I think the, the ultimate thing and where we always need to come to, and of course, it's the cliche, but here I think it's more specially um, appropriate than ever. The answer is Jesus. <laughs> and the answer is Jesus because actually he is the only one with divine cosmic power who can be trusted to be gentle. So he is the son of man that Daniel is terrified of in his dream. Um, Daniel has English understatement. It says, I was greatly disturbed by what he'd seen in Daniel 7. Um, and uh, actually, no, it's a flipping nightmare because basically a human being is given divine power forever and all people on earth had to worship him. I mean, that vision is truly horrific. That is the, the thousand-year Reich on steroids. And it's a gift of God to a human. What is he thinking? That, that is a terrifying prospect. Until you see what this one who's a son of man actually does when he gets his feet muddy in the River Jordan. He's walking the Jericho Road. He's talking to people. He lays a hand on a shoulder and says, don't be scared. And then he dies on a cross. Now, that subverts every conceivable category of power and power abuse. Um, and that, that's what answers the, the philosophers, particularly the French post-war philosophers. Um, that is the one trump card that anybody can have. And it's, the, the interesting thing is it's not a trump card that comes out of intellectual superiority. It's a trump card for thinking, well, I don't know where else we turn. Have you got a better alternative? Um, a God who is cosmically, awesomely powerful, who gets on his hands and knees and washes people's feet. Trump that. What a beautiful saviour we have, Mark. And my, my heart is just so thrilled to hear <laughs> <laughs> that in you know, the way in which you've just shared him with us i think that just brings um brings us to our last question it's something that's been rolling around in my head for a little while and i'd just love to hear your thoughts on it you know um micah 6 8 to act justly love mercy and and walk humbly what do you think it looks like for us um and for those who are in the position to make decisions on the eligibility of of ongoing um well the ongoing positions of of leaders in position of, of power how do we kind of bring together the the how does justice and a love of mercy apart from the cross what does that look like for human institutions and particularly the church right now and for us as we say technology and twitter and everything has brought these cases to our doorsteps what is our how do we rightly view them by pursuing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly? What does that look like for us? Does that make sense? Sorry, sir. It totally does. And, and it's, it's, the, it's a huge one. Um, I think it, there is a false 
dichotomy, a false separation of truth, justice, and grace. Justice and grace are not opposites. That needs unpacking. Forgiveness and justice are not opposites. Now, that needs unpacking. But, for instance, sometimes you'll hear, don't go after this person because they're really broken now and we need to show them grace. Well, we certainly do. But forgiveness is not the same as trust. So just because somebody is forgiven and you know restored to the fellowship, that doesn't mean so they can be trusted with a particular role. Um, I think one of the big errors we've made, and I think it's partly because of this whole facade thing that um, Bonhoeffer identified 70 years ago, 80 years ago, um, but it's partly also our celebrity culture that's affected the church. Um, I think one of the errors we've made is to divide um, gifting from character. So we take gifts and we think, ah, oh, just think how useful those could be. So we're quite pragmatic about it. And we'll say, right, these are the perfect gifts for this job. Um, this person is great up front or really good on the big screen or just has a real charm and charisma in a large crowd. Um, we'll not look too carefully at what they're like backstage. Uh, because actually, in the end, what matters is getting the bums on seats and drawing in the crowds, because that, that'll look impressive. And, and it's, it's not necessarily a, a vain thing to try and look impressive. You want, you want to, to win people. I get it. Um, it's this sort of means to an end thing. Um, but by divorcing character from gifting, we um, are too quick to overlook... Um, some real sort of warning lights in the selection process. Um, whereas I think we need to be quite quick, uh, um, open to um, sort of 360 uh, appraisals and talking to different people and giving people the opportunity to feedback and asking from, you know, asking the people who never get asked of their opinion, that kind of thing. So that actually you get a, a more rounded view rather than this guy's really great and we will all follow him over a cliff. Hmm. Wow. So much to chew on and, and think about there, uh, Mark. We could go for another another half hour you know, easily. But thank you so much for some food for thought there. And I hope for, for folks listening that Mark's giving you stuff to think about, stuff to challenge you, encourage you, and uh, particularly for folks who are you know, potentially God has brought people into your life who've been affected by some of these issues and have, you have the privilege of reaching out to them. I hope some of what Mark has shared has been helpful. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And uh, the book that Mark mentioned is will be linked in the show notes for this episode. So if you'd like to read more of what Mark's, you know, written on this, do uh, do check that out. And But otherwise, from uh, from myself and from uh, Christy, it's, uh, it's goodbye for now. And we will be uh, back with you in two weeks' time with another guest. Thanks for joining us today on Tech Pet Talk. Bye for now. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. This is a listener-supported podcast. We can only make it with the support of our friends uh, across the country and around the world. 
And if you'd like to be a part of that community, simply visit the website, thepeptalkpodcast.com, and click on the Support the Podcast button. If you sign up to support uh, Solas and the podcast for as little as £3 a month, as a thank you, uh, we will send you a free copy of my book, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist, or if you prefer, Christie's book, More Truth, as a thank you. And through your support, we can keep making more podcasts like this one.